Section 25 of The American Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jairus Amar. The American Egypt by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tapper Frost. Section 25. The Age of the Ruins. Part 1. The very natural temptation to assign a romantically great age to the ruins of Central America has proved too much for most writers and students of the subject. We, too, would like to think that these Mayan buildings rival in antiquity those of Egypt, but we have been unable to blind ourselves to certain facts, which are as commonplace as they are convincing. The proper way to judge the age of a building is not to stand in front of it in an attitude of reverence, like a pre-Raphaelite before an old master, but to look at it with the critical eye of a mason, if you can. If you are not a mason, or know nothing about masonry, then you should take an expert with you. If the many students of Mayan edifices had taken the trouble to put them to this very simple test, noting how they were built, and then making due allowance for the friability of the material and so on, we should have heard less of the fairy tales which have gained undeserved currency in past years. If the theory which we have put forward in our last chapter is as sound as we believe it to be, it would seem satisfactorily to fix a maximum date for Central American buildings. But we cannot too emphatically point out that our view as to the age of the ruins has not been evolved to suit our theory as to who were America's first architects, but is based upon entirely practical tests which are by their nature final. We have imagined that the architects reached the coast of Central America at about 13 degrees north latitude. It is probable that they would not begin to build directly where they landed, but would first look for a suitable site on which they might found a settlement. They possibly numbered two or three hundred. More than this is most unlikely. In such small numbers, they could not possess themselves of any likely spot irrespective of the American tribes already inhabiting the country. The chance is that it was some little while before they finally founded a city. But somewhere within reasonable distance of the portion of the coast where they would be most likely to land, we ought to find ruins having all the chief characteristics of their architecture with figures for the most typical part of their race, in face and feature, in costume and ornament, and such ruins should be very distinctly differentiated from those deeper in the country, and erected after the invaders had been some time in contact with the natives, whose own mode of living and disposition would modify the orientalism of the designs. And this is precisely what we do find. 
we find that Copan is well within 150 miles of the site of their probable landing. Here, as we pointed out on page 268, are carvings so strikingly oriental that one cannot doubt their origin. The faces of the figures on the stelae are the faces one can see today in Cambodia and Siam. The dress, the ornamentation, the turban-shaped headdress, found on no other carvings but these, are all purely ancient Indo-Chinese. Couple all this with the fact that nowhere else have the counterparts of the peculiar monuments of Copan been found in Central America except Equirigua, which, but a few miles distant, was probably almost synchronous in its building. And it must be admitted that there is much in our suggestion, and that here we are able to locate one of their earliest, if not actually their earliest, settlement. The traditions of the Mayans all agree that Copan was built by the Itzas, the tribe inhabiting Chichen, who had temporarily migrated thence. If this tradition is true, then why do we not find the same characteristic monuments in both places? As far as architectural ornamentation and monuments are concerned, no two sets of ruins could be further apart. At Copan, we find a uniform type in costume and feature. There is not a single sign of a warrior or the feathered headdress common in all the monuments of Yucatan. The battle scenes characteristic of Mayan carvings are entirely lacking. But what of Chichen? In all the carvings there, you do not find one that resembles in the least those at Copan. The features are the features of another race, and there is not a suggestion of the Copan headdress, but all the figures wear the befeathered American Indian type. The scenes in the base reliefs and paintings invariably depict warriors in battle array. In regard to the monuments themselves, a peculiar feature of the ruins of Angkor are the gigantic heads without bodies which stand in the woods, and which have their counterparts in the heads found at Copan, one of which, according to Stephens, measures about six feet in height. The carvings at Copan reach the height of elaboration and nicety of execution, such as has obviously never been reached elsewhere in Central America. Wonderful as the carvings at Chichen, and Palenque even, are they are not nearly so artistically wonderful as those at Copan. Yet if we are to believe tradition, Chichen of today was built on the return of the Itzas after they had founded Copan. To our mind, the only way to explain the peculiar and intricate art of Copan is to assume that it was the first settlement, or one of the first settlements, of the invading builders, and thus that is where we have their art in its purest and most unadulterated form. There is sound reason to think that most of the carvings in the ruins of Central America were done by the hands of American Indians. 
there is no room for such a belief as to Copan and Curigua. No American Indians could have carved the stelae there, if their general work is to be taken as a standard of their excellence they attained. No. The invaders carved and built Copan themselves, and probably they were watched at their work by the neighboring Indians, who crowded in to see the new wonder and learn the art. What the shapes of the buildings at Copan and Corigua were, it is impossible to say. But the ground plan of the former, at least, can be fairly accurately traced, and it affords valuable evidence of our theory. According to Sefens, the main ruins consist of an oblong enclosure 264 feet long and some 500 feet broad. The river wall of 60 to 90 feet in height is of cut stones. The other three sides of this enclosure consist of ranges of steps and pyramidal structures. Near the southwest corner he found a recess once occupied by a colossal figure, and beyond traces of a principal gateway, while other gateways existed on the other sides. Of the Buddhist ruins of Brahmanan, Java, Crawford, History, Indian Archipelago, page 196, writes, They occupy an area, which is an oblong square, of 600 English feet long, and 550 broad. They consist of four rows of small temples, enclosing in the center a greater one, whose height is 60 feet. The temples are pyramidal buildings, all of the same character, covered by a profusion of sculpture and consisting of large blocks of hewn stone. To the whole group of temples, there are four entrances facing the cardinal points of the compass, and each guarded by two gigantic figures. Such an identity of grand plan is surely most suggestive. It is but in perfect consonance with the age which we have assigned to Copan and Curigua that their edifices should have fallen to pieces. That they had fallen at the time of the conquest is clear from the letter of Diego Garcia de Palacio, a member of the Audencia de Guatemala, addressed to Philip II of Spain, on March 8, 1576. It runs, On the road to the city of San Pedro, in the first town within the province of Honduras, called Copan, are certain ruins and vestiges of a great population and of superb edifices of splendor, as it would appear they have never been built by the natives of that province. From this, it would seem that not a building was intact at Copan in the 16th century. Today, the remains are crumbling heaps of pyramids and terraces overgrown by luxuriant vegetation. All that remains intact are the monolithic stelae and altars which will last forever, though their carvings will yield to time. Wherever other cities have been spoken of by historians, they lead us to infer that at the time of the conquest the buildings were still intact. 
it is a truism to say that the most recently built are the best preserved. But students of Mayan archaeology have portrayed an extraordinary gift for overlooking the obvious. Chichen, for example, is still in a good state of preservation, perhaps the best of all Yucatecan cities, for the simple reason that it was one of the most recently built, and for no other reason whatever. Mr. A. P. Maudsley, who has spent more time than anyone else on a study of Copan and Curigua, assigns to them the position of the earliest of all ruined cities of Central America. This judgment he no doubt based upon their decayed conditions. But neither Mr. Maudsley nor anyone else has explained why the art of carvings had reached such a high stage at such an early date, and all have overlooked, or shut their eyes to, the undoubted fact that the carvings of the finest of the well-preserved cities, such as Chichen, are in merit behind, and not in advance of those of Copan and Curigua. To us, it appears there is but one explanation of this fact, and that is the one which we have suggested. For these reasons, we ventured to urge that Copan and Curigua were practically contemporaneous with the advent of the builders from Indochina and Java, namely, some time during the 8th century. How the art of building spread from Copan and Curigua, it is of course impossible to say. It could never be known whether the eastern immigrants, after building these two cities and possibly others, undiscovered near at hand, advanced further into the country, teaching the natives their arts and crafts, and perhaps indoctrinating them with some of their religious tenets and ritual, or whether they were visited by interested Mayan chiefs who learnt something of building on the spot. Possibly, too, they may have been attacked, and some of them captured, and taken captive to Mayan cities, and forced to superintend building operations there. But it is most probable that they did advance further into the country. Once they had learnt something of the language, there would be few or no difficulties for them in making friends with the Mayan peoples around. If our theory is right, we ought to find a chain of towns marking their progress, or the progress of their art, over the country. This is just what we do find in the group of ruins on the Usumacinta River, of which we have already given a short account. The first of these is the city of Piedras Negras, the nearest large city to Copan. Here, the characteristic Orientalism is already on the wane. The carvings of the buildings are not so strikingly characteristic of the East as are those at Copan. These have given place to carvings more in keeping with native ideas. It is no longer the city of the builders, but a city the building of which is superintended by them. Yet one would expect some oriental features to creep in, and this expectation is fulfilled. The figure found there by Herr Tilbert Mähler, 
and already mentioned by us on page 271, is as near a replica of the Buddhist statues of the East as one could expect a people to remember after they had spent several years in a new country. Its costume, its posture, its features, and its whole attitude take one to the East. Indeed, the only way of explaining the statue is to believe that its sculptures came from Buddhist lands. Close at hand, at the neighboring ruins of Yakshalan, is the structure which we have described on page 272, and which in the same way can only be explained by looking towards the east for its artificers. This tower, with the great staring face built into it, is almost a replica of the towers of Angkor, solid pieces of masonry with faces carved upon them. The only difference between them and that of Yakshan is that they are cut from solid stone, while that of the latter is stucco. Whether it is carved in stone under the stucco we cannot say. We believe that this monument found at Yakshilan is the only one of its kind so far discovered in Central America. Following the imaginary line of advance of the eastern builders, we find the proofs of our theory accumulating. At Menche, we have another city, to which M. Charney attempted to give the name of Lorillard. Here he and Mr. Maudsley, who was the discoverer of the place, appear to have found little which could be regarded as a trace of the Copan builders. Possibly the explanation is that, not attempting to trace the building civilization from Copan as a starting place, they overlooked much valuable evidence, or possibly Menche was built at a much later date, when the Oriental ideas had almost entirely vanished in favor of native design. But at Palenque, the next big city, we again find traces of the East. While the smaller buildings are strikingly like those in ruins at Priyakane and elsewhere in Cambodia, the so-called palace has often been said, as we mentioned in our last chapter, to be almost a replica in arrangement and design of Borobudur. It may very well be that some of the very men who had assisted in the earlier building operations of Borobudur were the architects of the building at Palenque. Such differences as occur between the two are easily explained. In the seventh century, the statues of Buddha, which now adorn the terraces of this Javanese Mecca, did not exist. Only the roughest plan of the present Borobudur was laid down and worked on in those early days, and thus the Palenque Palace is a reproduction of what Borobudur was centuries before its final completion. But even with these distinctions, the two ruins are closely akin. The two-story tower on the roof of Borobudur has its exact counterpart in the Palenque Tower save that the former has a dome-shaped roof while the latter is flat. 
but it may not always have been so. In describing it, we called attention to the curious fact that the tower has a stairway which ends abruptly against this flat roof. Is it not possible that the stairway once led into a dome-shaped roof, which either fell or was actually demolished, and replaced by the flat one, which renders the stairway so futile? At Palenque, too, we first find what looks like a reproduction of the lion seat, which is so characteristic of many of the early Buddhist statues. In one of the temples at Palenque is the carving of a couch, which is almost a replica of those found in Buddhist temples. Another noteworthy feature is the ornamental disc or amulet hanging on the breast of the deity, which would appear to be exactly like that on the ancient Buddhist figures and the priestly badge of office worn in Siam and Burma today. It is a curious fact that according to P. Shellhas, Bureau of American Ethnology, Bulletin 28, Washington, 1904, this badge never figures in the Mexican manuscripts, and thus may be presumed to have never been adopted by the Aztecs but to have been in vogue only among the Mayans, who came into direct contact with the Oriental invaders. Probably Piedras Negras, Yaxchilan, and Palenque represent, together with some undiscovered ruins, a period of about half a century immediately succeeding the founding of Copan and Carigua. During this period, it may be taken for granted that many of the older immigrants had died, and the remnant would be old men. It is very doubtful if in half a century the strangers would have penetrated far into Yucatan or reached the plateau of Mexico. Their activities would have been centered around the Palenque district, and the decayed condition of this latter city and the neighboring ruins of Yaxchilan and Piedras Negras would, without doubt, seem to definitely place them in this period. Palenque, we would suggest, was the last large city built or designed by these peoples. End of section 25